coming to rest <coughs> on the, where, the awareness of sounds. just in the moment of their appearing. not needing to move toward nor away from these appearing, vanishing, moment-to-moment sounds. allowing the awareness to be open and soft and receptive. At the same time to be alert, clear, firm, keeping the same spaciousness and alertness, shifting to the sphere of sensation as you notice the nature of the body, letting the awareness fall onto the contours of your sitting posture. And as you further anchor with the body, just with that sense of filling up the body with with awareness, grounded in the awareness of the sensations appearing. And begin to notice how your primary anchor is manifesting, either in its extension 
or expansion or rising movement at the abdomen or chest, followed by a softening or relaxation or contraction, aware of the sensations within that movement. or mindful of the stream of sensations flowing at the tip of the nose with each inhalation and each exhalation, the varying nuances of pressure and sensation, tingling, vibration, noticed in the area of the tip of the nose or upper lip. This primary anchor is your place of refuge in which to begin, to begin again, to collect the mind, to balance energy and mindfulness and concentration. Nothing is predominant happening in the field of your experience. You come to rest in the awareness of your primary anchor and as various phenomena call your attention to release this anchor of the breath and move with full awareness toward a sensation or sound, a thought, an emotion. This morning, I'd like to introduce another mental phenomena that we call intention, or the volitional factor of mind. Volitional factor arises in every moment of experience, every moment of consciousness. It is that mental force that precedes any activity, any movement of the body, any connecting with a thought or an emotion, sight or sound, sensation. Intentions direct the mind toward that experience. It's a very valuable um, object of our meditation because noticing intentions really helps to refine the mindfulness, to ground it in the here and now, to ground it in the present moment. Intentions teach us about the cause-effect nature of experience, that there's no one who scratches their leg. Rather, it is a process. Certain sensations in the leg appear experienced as itchy and unpleasant, and there's the desire to relieve that itchiness, 
and unpleasantness, and then an intention to lift the arm, to move it, to touch the area that's itchy, to scratch it, to stop scratching it, to bring the arm back again to rest. Any time that we shift posture, that we turn our head, <clears throat> we can use that not as an opportunity to be forgetful and try to find a better posture, or necessarily only to relieve discomfort, but to notice the entire process of cause and effect relationship. Experience of discomfort, the desires that appear, and the intentions then to go about that shifting. Intentions arise a lot while we do walking meditation. As we come to a stop, as we turn, as we again begin to walk, or as we lift and reach for jackets, shoes and sandals and utensils and plates, They teach us not only about the cause-effect nature of this mind-body process, but they also give us the opportunity of mindful choice, because indeed it is intention that is like that force that makes decisive actions through the body, through the mind, through speech. There is an intention just before we may be about to react in an unskillful or unhelpful way with with our body or with our speech. If we learn how to attune to this volitional factor, we learn how to feel the intentions of, of about to speak an angry word, We can catch and feel and let go that intention through mindfulness, creating the spaciousness to approach the situation in a more skillful way. So intentions, mindfulness of intentions, help create space, spaciousness, to determine whether the action we're about to do is one that we want to follow or not. And finally, intentions teach us about our essential selfless nature. There's just this flow of mental events that intentions or choice itself is one of these flows of events. There's no one behind directing the show. So as you sit, and each time you feel you need to make an adjustment or a movement, see if you can attune to that mental urge. It's very subtle. It's not like a thought or an image or a word in the mind. It's different than a decision that is a desire, but more like an impulse or an urge just before that movement. You just note that intending mind. 
then feel the rest of the process of your movements. Any questions this morning about Dhamma practice? If the labeling opens the awareness more up, more, op- more to what is actually happening, then indeed it's very helpful. When you say excruciating, what do you mean by that? Right. So that's another emotion, isn't it? There's the boredom, there's the fear, and what is that feeling like you want to scream? Look, just look to it. You don't need to answer it, particularly right now. But very often around boredom or very near boredom are a whole cluster of emotions that you begin to pick up in just the way you describe, you know, tuning into that uh, feeling of wanting to scream or the excruciation or the fear. And as soon as you actually see it as it is, you know, and if the labeling helps, use it, then it changes the whole relationship to it. As soon as you saw what happened for you, as soon as you began to experience the fear. It helped to soften a little bit, but mm-hmm. then it, after a while it just it stayed pretty tight. Can you move to that, toward that tightness? Do you actually open to that? It feels like I've tried everything and it's just uh-huh. terrible, but I, I don't know. Right. Be mindful of how you're actually trying to. Because if you're trying from a place of tension, that is, if your very effort, if your awareness is colored with a kind of tense effort, then even if you're, even if you're aware of what's there, or if you're conscious of what's there, you may not really be able to open to it. So it's, it's helpful to actually look at your sense of approach. What I find very helpful is using the body using the body as a, kind, as a barometer to whatever emotions or feelings might be there, whether or not I recognize them right away or know what they are. But I can feel them in, indirectly by feeling tightness or tension in the body. If I can really connect with that, then it just it shifts the relationship to anything else that's happening. You know, Whereas previously I might have had a, a, a resistance or a fear or just not wanting to open up to it, if I can connect to something real, like 
attention in the body that is connected to those emotions, then it changes the whole relationship. Suddenly, it's okay. It begins to open up. There again, what I would look for is a resistance to what's happening. And maybe somewhere else in the body is another sensation, not quite as intense as the tension in your back, but nevertheless something that may connect with not wanting to open up, or kind of a fear of opening up, or a a dread of opening up to what's there. Just a slight resistance, or wanting something else to happen. That's another kind of resistance wishing it would go away. So to try to catch that resistance, again, it's the closer object. It may not be the more obvious object, but it's the one that needs to be attended to first. Yes? Mm-hmm. And I want to go to the more interesting one rather than to the stronger one because I think it has, uh, it's worth exploring. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Yeah, it's okay. Be aware of the interests and the preference and go to it. It's fine. Yes? What was her question? Her question was uh, um, uh, dealing with a lot of boredom, intense boredom. And, it's, and connected with the boredom was <clears throat> sense of excruciation or uh, uh, discovery of fear and uh, uh, also the sense of perhaps uh, uh, feeling like screaming. So some other emotions there clustered around. So I was responding by saying around boredom or near boredom or just beneath boredom often are a cluster of other intense emotions. And the, the boredom may itself represent a kind of resistance to feeling those emotions and kind of looking into that. In regard to intentionality, do you think that each thought is preceded by an intention? Yes. But I would think it would drive you mad to try to catch the intentions before each thought. There's intentions before every experience in our mind-body. Everything that happens very quickly, like thousands just in a blink of an eye. Uh, but our task is to catch the more obvious intentions, the intentions that lead to skillful or unskillful actions. So we start with simple ones, just like the movements of the body, our reaching, or stopping when we're walking, and so forth. Uh, and that just sort of connects, begins to connect our awareness with that, with that mental event of intentionality. Uh, and that begins to create for us that sense of, of spaciousness. Uh, and that uh, there's a lot of space often before we say something uh, that causes harm, before we say something angry or do something that causes harm. A lot more space than we think. Reactiveness of mind sort of shrinks that space. But a mindfulness, and as we learn to be mindful of intentions, expands that space. And that's why we do this. Yes? Not necessarily. I, I would say most strong emotions uh, are, and for some people it's different. It may, it may vary 
That is, um, some people can't find uh, sensations in, in their bodies for anything other than a very strong emotion or, or thought connected with an emotion. Uh, for others, sometimes just the subtlest little emotion can be felt and experienced as sensations in the body. So it just varies from individual to individual. Mm-hmm. It strikes me that in this case it's not really correct because if you're talking about intention, it's kind of the about to moment. Right. So it's really different, isn't it? Right, and that, that, that about to moment repeats itself very, very fast. It's very rapid. There are many, many moments of that. So there can be like a, a very, uh, you know, there can be some thought in the mind followed by a strong volition or intention to do something. Which, which follows in the wake of that desire, say, to, <clears throat> to say something angry. And then, but there can be a whole lot of intentions leading up to that. And that's why there's, there's lots of time there, since mindfulness is just as quick, if not quicker, in picking up all these subtleties, in uh, becoming aware of those intentions. And as soon as it does, it sort of suspends the, the need or the necessity or the kind of force to act out on it. So there's many related things, like certain desires that appear uh, and underlying motivations for what we do uh, and the, in, the moment-to-moment intentions, all quite related, but you can see and distinguish between their function, what they do. Yes? Doesn't the intention then lead um, almost immediately to choice? Well, in, a, in effect, I'm saying that... Uh, that intention is choice. The Buddha, the Buddha said that intention is the same as, as action. Action of mind, of thought, of speech, and of body. That they're one and the same. And this is another reason why it's a very important uh, element of our being to start to be attentive to. Because actions have within them the seed of results leading to, to happiness or suffering. So, in, in effect, we're saying what uh, we're calling volition a kind of choice. It's, it's, a, it's a determined by the presence, in a very simple way, this choice is determined by the presence or absence of awareness and wisdom. Without it, we tend to be reactive and do things that cause us pain or others. With awareness and wisdom, the intentions toward to lead, uh, tend to lead toward the skillful and happiness. In harmony. Yes. In meditation, um, as different things arise, I become aware that I can choose what to attend to. Mm-hmm. That's what your that's another aspect of intention. Mm-hmm. Well, one would be more like uh, wise reflection, uh, wise thought. Uh, deciding that you're going to do this for whatever reasons you decide to do it. And then the intentions that follow is the actual movement toward what you do, connected with that wise reflection. So the wise reflection is more like thought. It's more tangible. The intentions that we're speaking of here, I'm saying, are more like the, the, the little about-to-moments, urges or impulses of mind that lead to that. 
So, for example, sometimes when people are very quiet, very concentrated, there's a sense of a thought that's coming up. It's a, like a bubble, you know, like you're about to burp or something. It's just sort of moving up the belly into the chest. And you start and you become mindful of the sense of your awareness reaching out to that thought. And as you're mindful of that, it falls away. That is, the intention falls away. And it never quite connects with that thought. It never surfaces. It's like the burp that never erupts, you know? So that you never, you know there's a thought out there, but it, you, you never became conscious of it. Right. Or pain. Right. Or then I can choose to be metta, or I can choose to focus on the breath. So, in your instruction, you talked about being aware of intention regarding movement. Right. But we can also use it being aware of what we choose to attend to. That's right. You'll find it particularly helpful, uh, for example, in, in major movements of the walking, so that, for example, as soon as you hear the bell, you could, you could be mindful of, you could uh, attend to that first impulse before you move or open your eyes. And then attention is before you stand. There's intention as you bend, as you reach and put your hands on the floor, as you straighten, as you stand, and as you begin to turn and walk. And in, in the walking meditation, various, very obvious intentions when you walk, before you come to your stop. If you don't think there's intentions, just keep walking. See what happens as you run into the wall, you know. There's, there's an intention that will come up there and be part of the process of coming to a stop. And then another series of intentions as you turn. And then as you begin to walk again. But just a reminder, don't, uh, don't try to pick on, don't look for the intentions. It's more like sounds, let them come up. Because you can get very sort of convoluted trying to, to pick and choose every single intention. And it's, it can break up the flow of your awareness. But just start with the obvious ones and let it become more and more natural. You could pick one thing that you do during the day, like reaching. And before, before you reach, you can notice the intention to reach. And actually, it's a series of intentions as you reach for your coat or your plate. And that's why, if it wasn't a series of intentions, that first intention, you'd just be on the coat or on the... You wouldn't be able to stop it. But because there's so many of intentions, you can, anywhere along the way, you can, you can, the intention may fall away, your hand may stop. And as an experiment, I tried this once in front of my door while on retreat, intending to reach, intending to reach. I just kept watching the intention to reach and watched it arise and watched it fall away. And for 20 minutes, I stood in front of my door, you know, <laughs> reaching for the doorknob, but the intentions kept falling away. And there was just nothing, no impulse, until finally aversion arose. <laughs> and that's... That was the guiding factor for to complete the series of intentions, and I opened the door. So we have to stop for interviews now. Have a delightful day of practice. Thank you.
and disappearing sounds come to your attention. If you find it helpful, beginning the sitting by opening the attention and being with hearing. And then at your own pace, gradually bringing the attention to the surface of the body, inside the body, and noticing any body sensations appearing and disappearing. And then anchoring your attention with the movement of the breath. Seeing if you can live through one in-breath or rising movement, one out-breath and falling movement at a time.
There'll be times when you just notice this movement. Other times you might be <clears throat> able to notice how the movement is happening, how it begins, how it lives itself out. When you feel like the attention is relaxed, rested, letting the attention explore what is predominant, what calls your attention, sounds or body sensations, mental states, emotions, just letting them come to your attention. Exploring them as fully as you can. experiencing them as fully as you can without identifying with them as me or mine or I. Just letting each moment come and go, just as it is. And when your attention gets lost, or nothing is calling the attention, remembering to anchor your attention with the movement of the breath, or whatever anchor is most helpful for you. Seeing if your attention can be careful with each moment and relaxed. Any questions this morning?
current state, I, I don't look it up, but there's a thought that will get uh, created from that mind state and I'll, and I'll recognize the mind state from the content of the thought. I wish someone would turn the light on or something. What was the last sentence? I wish someone would turn the light on. Some desire. Um, should I should I note that thought in any special way? Because because I recognize that there's a mind state that's created, or should I just note it as a thought? Whatever helps you to see it clearly. Uh, so I think that. Sometimes it's just helpful to note thinking so that we don't get more pulled into getting involved in the thought and the content. So most of the times for most thinking, I think it's just helpful to just note thinking. But sometimes, like, you know, you can't notice if there's a judging thought unless you really notice the content. Uh, And if something's repeating, it's really helpful to notice what the content is, to note it, uh, because it helps wake us up. So if, if it, a more specific note will help wake you up, meaning that it helps you to see it as a thought and helps you not to identify with it, then it's, it's much more helpful to make a more specific note. There was a certain time in my practice where uh, the same thought was repeating over and over again, and it had... Uh, It was a certain uh, memory of a person that I had a lot of aversion to. And there would be a lot of aversion whenever that thought of that person would come up. Uh, And it happened over and over and over. And finally, I would just note the name of the person as a way to wake me up that I didn't really want to spend my whole three months. having aversion to this person. And unless I made that really specific note, I would just get caught in this drama that was so boring, but I couldn't stop myself. So I used the name of the person. Mm-hmm. You might think about not looking when you have low energy rather than looking, meaning that the, the use of the anchor at times is essential to rest the mind and strengthen the mind. That the use of the anchor uh, is all about building energy. So when we're low energy, it's usually not the time to explore intense physical pain or intense uh, emotional pain or mental pain. It's not the time to usually explore much of anything, which means that, say, there's a physical pain that's happening and you're low energy. That pain, that, that sensation might call your attention 
it seems like thousands of times during the sitting. But if you're low energy, it's usually more helpful to just notice the sensation and come back to the anchor rather than explore it. Same with an emotional pain. If there's an intense emotional thing happening, it's usually helpful. You might get called thousands of times, but you would just notice it and move away from it. So you wouldn't necessarily look at it. You would, you would keep moving back to something very simple, very neutral, uh, in which if you can do it, it's, there's a great deal of freedom in this. There's a great deal of flexibility in the mind that comes from being able to say, no, it's not the time for me to do this. There's not enough strength of energy to really be able to see clearly. And the determining factor is usually, well, can we see clearly? Is, is, there, is there any hope in this case? And if there isn't, it's, it's much more skillful to move away and develop the, the, um, the rest, the concentration. And it, it, you don't need to worry about not having something to look at in the future. There'll always be something. You know, it's not like you have to, you know, think that you have to do it in that moment. That, that isn't what was happening. Okay. What's happening is that all these thoughts are coming. And, um, and could you go to the anchor? <coughs> Eventually. Right. Right. And I think that, that it's like a desire. The desire for more energy is confusing you to, to the point of what do you need to do? What, what is the best way to build energy? And, and so all the planning will be really moving you out of the moment. And that what I'm suggesting is that you look at the, the fact that there is low energy and it's okay. You don't have to plan to get it. It's just to, to notice that the planning is happening, to notice that there's low energy, and say, okay, it's just low energy. Uh, and there's nothing you, you really have to do except to just... Um, it's like hibernating. It's, it's pulling in. It's secluding the mind. That the, the concentration means seclusion. And it means secluding the mind um, from everything that's happening. And it's like laying low and, and resting the mind, resting the mind, resting the mind. And at a certain point, it'll shift. It, I, it's, it's so easy to miss, <laughs> miss, miss it. <laughs> Pardon? Mindfulness can, can be aware of breathing as unattached 
bedouin as it is of sounds, meaning the sounds are allowed to come, mm-hmm. or whether the awareness of the breath in some way is affecting the rate or the depth of the breathing. So yesterday morning after Stephen mentioned intention, I thought, well, if the breath is happening in its normal, autonomic, uncontrolled fashion, is there an intention that precedes each breath, say like the contraction of the diaphragm, if something has to happen to have the breath or, um, or not. And <laughs> it's not really clear whether if I'm observing the breath, I'm controlling it, and then there is the intention to breathe now, or to breathe deeper, or to have an in-breath or an out-breath, or in a normal situation, whether that happens. So, shed some light. <laughs> There's an intention in every mind moment, you know, so it's, uh, I think when we get the instruction on intention, it, <laughs> it can help us investigate a lot, but it also can help us uh, move kind of uh, into questions that might not be so helpful, actually, in terms of being just in the present moment. So, for example, with a with the breath, the movement of the breath, there's an intention with every move, with every mind moment of the movement of the breath. And there also can be, when you decide to bring your inten- attention to the movement of the breath, there can be a moment where we, um, there's an intention to control. Just in that moment of attention, there's a, there's a controlling that happens. So there can be times when it happens where there, where there is no intention to control. And there are times when there can be an intention to control. Um, but what I would suggest, instead of going too far down that road, <laughs> because it, I think it can just become moving further and further away from the physical sensations, uh, and I think at this point in the retreat, for most of us, it's helpful to just stay with the physical sensation. Uh, if you notice that there's controlling happening, see if you can make that the object of the meditation. So if you notice a tightening around a sound, or the tightening around the breath, or tightening around anything, uh, see if you can yield into it and not make it wrong. Or if, if you notice an intention to control, just notice the intention to control. Uh, so try not to see that there's anything wrong happening, but make it part of the practice. Uh, and if you notice there's tightening, 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 back, move the attention away from the sensation to the point where you don't see the tightening happening. You can obsess over intention because there's, they're happening every moment. 
<laughs> it's, uh, I don't know if Stephen went into this, but say you just want to reach for the door. There's the intention to reach, but there's also an intention that will keep the mo- movement moving, or else it would stop. There's an intention with blinking, so that there's an intention with each moment of the blinking, or else the blinking would stop. You know, so you can imagine if you started to try to notice every intention with blinking, it can get <laughs> it can get a little crazy making. Uh, and I don't think it's so helpful. I think it's helpful to notice, know, know that there's an intention with each moment. And I think it's helpful to notice them when they're happening. Uh, but it can, it can become a road one goes down and one misses the rest of the retreat. <laughs> and that the, the, the reason we teach intention is to help us actually be more aware of the present moment. Uh, so in whatever way that we hear about intention and can see it, Try to keep in mind it's supposed to be helping us uh, stay more awake to what's happening. And it can become uh, more of a figuring it out kind of thing rather than actually seeing them. Be happy.